Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello and welcome to another very special episode of the Med Street Journal podcast. I'm your host as always, Rodney Hu. This podcast is sponsored by OpenMoop, a trusted partner for telehealth companies across the U.S. looking to launch and scale their virtual care services. Check them out at openloophealth.com. And today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Tim Kelly. He is the CEO of Teleray. And Teleray was the first company to put together a complete telehealth and radiology image management system together on a single platform at a low cost with the highest security. I'm excited to have Tim on and share what they're working on in the healthcare space. That being said, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rodney. Thanks for having me. So I want to just jump into it. Why don't you give listeners a brief background of who you are, how you got into this whole telehealth space? My whole career has always been in healthcare. And probably the mid-90s got introduced to radiology through ultrasounds in the veterinary business and then was part of a group that was the first to launch CD burning in healthcare where we were burning first cardiology studies and then thought, geez, maybe we can push this into radiology. And at first we were laughed at and told we would never give up our film. That's what the doctors told us. And eventually as PAC systems came along, the digital storage of imaging and better displays and better software, they needed a better method of transferring that data around and see very quickly took a big chunk out of film and became the predominant format of exchange and health. That's crazy. I feel like film is so old school and the fact that there's a lot of doctors and like clinics within the healthcare space that want to stay with using films versus like better technology like i feel like that's the easiest route to go towards so how how did you get people on board with that sort of mindset shift it wasn't easy and the same is going on now with the electronic exchange but getting people to not really change their workflow but adapt their workflow and say telling them this is better medicine there's better software for diagnosis you can be more efficient faster although oddly enough they still call it wet reads even though it gets uh you know, it's a digital image. So wet reads came from when they would actually trying to go fast, take the film out of the uh, producer and it would still be wet and they'd slap it up in the white of the uh, light box and to do the diagnosis. And so the term still used today, oddly enough, and most young people don't even know what that means. They say, why do they call it a wet read? But yeah, telling them it's better medicine and being more efficient were the two big drivers. And so you think about Teleray as a company and who you guys want to help. Like obviously you guys are in the like radiology vertical, but is it the entire radiology department or do you guys focus on a specific modality? Like what is your guys' approach? Really it's every modality and going down to other levels of imaging that would include pathology and cytology. So anything that you can create a digital image of, that's all become relevant. And looking at radiology, it's the primary tool of diagnosis today. So everything's about taking a look inside and not to if you go back in time, palpating or squeezing someone's neck to say this, you have a cold or strep throat or something like that. They now use ultrasounds for point of care. There's appendage CTs and MRIs. I'm sure you've seen those in your career where just your arm goes in, just leg goes in. I recently had a, a heart CT calcium score, so they only scan that portion of your chest or the smaller CT machine. Everything as far as diagnosis being the primary tool of diagnosis is about imaging, and that's not going to change anytime soon. If you look out into the future, and this technology exists, it's just not everywhere now. You're going to get into atomic level imaging where you'll put your hand into a machine and it'll scan the structure of blood cells and viruses and anything else that's coursing through your system and do diagnosis instead of doing a 
pinprick and it'll be more accurate than a blood test. See, I think that's so interesting, especially about the radiology spaces, because technology is, it changes the game. If you think about it, like you mentioned, rather than just palpating your neck to see or like having to cut somebody in, you're able to figure out what's going on with people in a non-invasive way. And it's, I always hear people like MRIs, man, why is it so loud? Like, why? it's torture. But it's, I'd rather have it be loud and painless than quiet and painful, like my mindset on it. But like from your perspective, you mentioned a couple of different technologies and how they're disrupting how people get diagnosed. But what's exciting to you? What trends are you seeing? Like, where do you see the future of radiology or teleradiology, really? The technology has never stopped advancing, which is really cool. What's probably 20 years old in total now, PET-CT and things like heart MRIs and those keep advancing and getting more detailed and there's more slices with higher resolution on all these types of systems. And it's pretty impressive, the level of detail. So when you look at PET-CT, that was such a game changer in certain types of cancer like metastatic cancers where they're not sure where it's traveled to and you can't really do discovery surgery on a patient like that. But you can do a scan where to use some technical jargon here or patient they will drink a solution of radioactive isotopes that is basically there's a protein that's attracted to specific antigens and then they'll glow under these these images that are captured and so you may have a pencil dot of a tumor that's just starting a shoulder where they can go and excise it out rather quickly so removing let's say five tumors on a much less invasive method instead of doing through laparoscopic surgery than doing discovery surgery as you were alluding to earlier it's just changed therapies it's changed surgery plans and recovery times are a fraction of what they used to be that's very encouraging yeah that's very interesting i feel like we could just talk about like the advancements in technology and the radiology space and how that's changing the game but that's just one part of it and you look over this past year or two, like with the pandemic and everything and how a lot of things have shifted from in-person to virtual. And For you sure. start to see the wide adoption of telehealth services and just look at Zoom. Everybody's jumping on Zoom meetings nowadays. But I feel like for you guys, that's just the tip of the iceberg because you guys are bringing this sort of virtual experience into the radiology space. So let's talk about that. What is the importance and how are you guys trying to integrate your way into the whole virtual care and like being able to live stream and do those sort of things. There's so many levels to it because looking at COVID, one of the primary initiatives for hospitals, this will be going forward for many years, is keeping sick patients at home that don't need certain levels of care and also keeping healthy patients at home. And so with that, if you look at all the different services that are in a hospital or certain clinics and as a MRI tech, is that the one person who's not there when radiology procedure is done is the doctor. They're just not part of that process. They're given that information after the fact. So typically the patient comes back in, whether it's an MRI, certainly an interventional radiology, where the patient then is coming back in for another appointment to have that consultation on what their disease state may be. And why not have that consultation with them at home in a more relaxed environment where they're not at risk of any exposure to any other illnesses by coming into the hospital. And so those initiatives are very much underway. But in those situations where you do need that doctor in the room, we can do that virtually as well. So they can view what the technologist or the sonographer is seeing on the screen. So whether it's patient positioning, seeing an anomaly and saying, hey, should I do something else with this? Or like with ultrasound, seeing the probe position. So in all different types of cases with specialists, whether it's maternal fetal medicine, oncology, orthopedics, or may be a need for that where you say, hey, let's have the specialist take a look before that patient goes home so you don't have to have them come back and do a secondary rescan. Upwards of 20% of all radiology procedures in the U.S. are duplicate rescans of the exact 
same procedure, multi-billion dollar problem. That's crazy. Cause like you, you kind of think about the patient journey, like they come into the office, like they see me as a tech, I take the pictures, I send those pictures to the radiologist, they send that report to the doctor and then the doctor just communicates that with the patient. Sometimes people have to go in for that follow-up but they're just playing a waiting game. They don't know exactly when they're gonna get their results back. But I feel like what you guys are creating, you guys can reduce a lot of the friction and make that whole process a little bit more, a lot more efficient through like your guys' technology. Billions in healthcare costs. Another thing is with radiation from CT, machines, 3% to 5% of all leukemia cases are CT induced. So if you eliminate rescans, you could reduce the amount of leukemia cases as well. And who knows what the cost is for that in healthcare. Like now that we're talking, it's November, 2021. And the idea of telehealth and virtual services seems like mainstream seems like a no brainer. But obviously we know healthcare is slow to adopt new technology. They're usually one of the, like the slowest industries to do. So my question too is like, why not sooner? Why didn't these radiology clinics or other large healthcare organizations jump on this train sooner? And what sort of obstacles did you notice in your journey? It's interesting because we added the telehealth just two years ago now, when we started building it saying, because we kept getting requests from certain groups saying, boy, could you just add something like Zoom so we can view images in real time and do consultations. Jeez, I'm missing the word now. The yes, permission of the patient, but like guided tours so they have a better understanding. It's one thing to read a patient a report, it's something to walk them through their images. So yeah, nonetheless, the, the one thing that we really noticed is that the biggest problem was confusion over reimbursement. So most sites felt that they had to have the patient in to get maximum reimbursement, which is completely false. So a lot of the telehealth misinformation is that you can actually increase your revenue, increase your patient throughput and patient satisfaction by using these technologies. And the reason why is they don't understand the, the coding that is available for reimbursement. So whether it's professional to professional, professional to patient, clinician to patient, clinician to clinician, these are all different rates of reimbursement. And then there's the time element. Was it 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20, 30 minutes? For that consultation. So normally they would just get reimbursements on what's called a 95 modifier, which is just a standard reimbursement rate, which they felt like they were losing money. And there's some more reimbursements that are coming out with telehealth. And one of them that we're pushing for is when they're sharing imaging, there's a piece to that called store and forward that if you're sharing imaging with patients or if patients send their imaging to the doctor, there's a reimbursement for the doctor just to review it of $12, $14, depending where you're located. But overall, that's been the biggest problem is not understanding that you're more efficient and that you don't lose your that's interesting so how do you go about educating those people it's a mission sale it's explaining all those details to them showing them the codes a few weeks back i did a i was one of the speakers at the college of imaging administrators show in chicago here and the amount of feedback i got that they just didn't understand the coding process and then also how fast let's say you're doing your interventional radiology department you could actually most of those lost a ton of money during covid and I was explaining to them, you could actually increase it by 150% by using these tools and had some charts and so forth up. And so yeah, you do have to explain to them and show them exactly how it works. So you have a waiting room with patients waiting. And then with the combined platform, having the images at your fingertips, because if you're discussing that, you can pull it right from the PAC system or from the cloud and share those images. And then once they see that they also reduce their non-reimbursed rescans, which is another element that they're not 
noticing because it's just standard practice, then they're, they get pretty excited that they can change what they've been doing. Nice. And so like for people who are in that old school current situation and they see what's available and the potential of technology and how that could not only disrupt their industry, but have an impact on like their personal like practice or their clinic. What is that process of working with you guys? How does that start? And how do you guys actually help get them from point A to point Z? Yeah, that's the other fear is just getting started. I mean, there's still people out there afraid to use Zoom, but the, well, one of the biggest hurdles, especially if you're dealing with smaller practices that let's say have a digital x-ray and an ultrasound, and we hear this multiple times a week. Oh no, we're compliant. We're we're putting everything on a three terabyte hard drive that then I put in my glove box at night. And we go, oh no, you're breaking so many rules. And then after using Zoom and FaceTime and those types of tools, those are fine until December 31st of this year. Then the Emergency Use Act runs out. And so Zoom, they have it on their website that they're HIPAA compliant. They're HIPAA compliant as far as their encryption goes, but they're not HIPAA compliant as far as privacy. They're not HIPAA compliant as far as keeping a audit trail. And they're not HIPAA compliant if they're sharing other information because if they're sharing images or reports or results on Zoom, they also have to share that in their audit trail. Not that anyone's being fined yet, but at some point, just like with the HIPAA with the hospitals, they didn't find any hospitals for over 10 years and now they're getting fined on a regular basis. In all good time, it will catch up, but why not just be compliant now at a lower cost and not worry about it? That's a big part of what we try to explain. Handle all the loose ends in the beginning because I feel like Zoom, like how it's been mass adopted by everyone, all industries over the this past year, but there's still like a generalist as far as like video communication. But I see what you guys have created. You're more specialist pivot specifically to healthcare and healthcare. Obviously it's regulated and it comes with its own nuances and stuff like that. But that's what your guys' specialty is. You guys know how to navigate that. You know how to help other companies who don't know how to navigate that be able to do it more efficiently. So I think that's, right. that's awesome. And we will, we'll have them up in one day. We've had prices up in an hour and trained and ready to use it. And they actually can eliminate a few few different vendors. So if you're using Zoom and some other storage product or something like that, they can eliminate it. In some cases, three to four vendors and just go with a single use platform and then be compliant in the same day. And also with Zoom, it's a great product. We use Zoom all the time with our business here. But let's say you're showing a mom an ultrasound and you're trying to explain to her, well, let's say with a heartbeat, Zoom can't keep up the, the frame showing a video like that where in our system, it's endpoint to endpoint. So in those critical situations, because it is a mission critical system at the end of the day for diagnosing patients and deciding whether they should go to some cases, emergency room or specialist, it's, you have to have that kind of, you can't have latency would be. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so like, just for a little bit of clarification, like we use ultrasound as an example, you can have the actual patient come in, but if say that patient wants to have their mom be in the room or kind of see the exam with them, that's a use case for your technology being able to take this ultrasound in real time and communicate with the mom or the additional people that are out of the room. Exactly. So that patient can have their mom and their sister in two different parts of the country be in the room with the sonographer while they're being scanned and say, look at my baby's heartbeat or look, I have twins. See, that could be really cool because like I just I had a baby earlier this year and like with the whole COVID and stuff like that, like they're being very strict on allowing me to go in with my girl. They were cool enough to let her like FaceTime me, but FaceTiming and just looking, pointing the camera at the screen is definitely not the same experience as being there and getting the full like visual experience. So I, I really 
think that could be super valuable in a lot of people's like pregnancy journey. We've had great feedback on it. And then in those cases too, we capture that diagnostic ultrasound, down convert it to an MP4, encrypt it, then upload to the cloud so the mom can capture their keepsake from the clinical ultrasound without going somewhere else to pay hundreds of dollars for it. And so that's pretty neat too. So there's a lot of practices out there that use that, which is neat. And that just got into the NHS in the UK, which is impossible, but they like the way that worked. Nice. Just leveraging the cloud technology infrastructure too, because I'm assuming that's where the radiologists and the additional professionals can go to access that same data, same information. Exactly. So access it anywhere in any device. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was like looking at you guys website like obviously we were talking about like the software and stuff but you guys also like, have different hardwares as well like how is it trying to balance like creating hardwares and the softwares what excites you more just the, the software so the hardware is just a, a tool so that if someone's looking to implement a telehealth initiative and they need carts one of the things that we kept hearing from some sites is that carts and let's say medical grade computers were so expensive you know it, it was crazy some of the prices we'd hear sixteen thousand dollars for a basic cart and thinking geez they're not buying a car it's a telehealth but we source of powder coated antimicrobial carts with a basket and all that stuff with a medical grade head unit that we can sell for four thousand dollars or competitors are sixteen to twenty thousand and the reason why we do that is not because we were looking to make some fortune on the carts it's to promote the whole network where you can share and exchange and basically enjoy this healthcare communications platform and that's part of the mission is that if we grow the network we're going to save a lot of lives help a lot of people and reduce a lot of costs. Your company, Telegram, you guys, obviously, I feel like you guys take over the radiology industry with like what you guys are creating, but obviously you can't do it by yourself. You're one person. So I want to give you an opportunity to talk about like the team and kind of the progress that you guys have made behind the scenes as a company and kind of what you're working on that is exciting to you. We're really focused on building the best technology and having it be the fastest, most secure, and at the same time, very easy to use. There's a lot of complexity in the software, but the user should never experience. A lot of icon-driven stuff with macros that walk people through process. So you can walk up to this very complex software, use it without even realizing you went through a complex process. Part of our effort in design and architecture. But yeah, we build it through word of mouth for the most part. And then we have a dealer network. And then we do have a couple of OEM partners. Samsung is one of them. And hopefully soon, Canon and Philips will also be on board. Some of their reps resell us now. But yeah, we think there's a huge opportunity to grow this massive healthcare communications network and leverage the fact that people need to communicate about the primary tool of diagnosis, which is radiology. And one thing that we've done that's completely different than anyone else, besides the security architecture, is that anyone can credential themselves into the system. So patients, professionals, hospitals, clinics, practice groups, it doesn't matter what size you are, you can go right to Telerate.com, register for a free account, store your own data in there. And just like with PayPal, once you're in the system, you can share data with anyone else in the system securely. So it's all a peer-to-peer network of sharing data. And that's pretty neat too. That So we have patients sign up every day that become part of that network. So if they have their information from their hospital and they say, I want to send it to this specialist or to a family member for that matter, they can, and for patients, it's always 100% free. So they can then send it to their brother, their sister in a matter of seconds their imaging and results through the network. Interesting. And I like what you had mentioned about having this complex process 
but being able to simplify it because you hear these other technology companies and they may create the coolest technology out there and it's super complex, but if the user experience is complex as well, right. no one's going to want to use that. So I think that's awesome how you guys were able to do all this complex stuff behind the scenes. But when it comes to the actual people using it, you simplify that experience. It should feel like starting your car and not launching the space shuttle, as we say. It's a good one. So one of the last questions before we kind of end like the meat part of the interview is what sort of advice would you have for other companies who are looking to dive into more telehealth and virtual care type of services and how can they go about adopting that into their practice? There are so many arenas of where this where telehealth telemedicine needs to be from all different levels and, and it, it really grew in behavioral health and psychology um, especially during covid which is great getting access to that kind of help is critical especially in these times where people are not sure what the future is and feeling insecure about it but then as you move into these more advanced areas and it's something as simple as getting a blood test and then wondering what the results are the empathy and communication of then having a face-to-face consultation about what those results are is much more satisfying and, and gives patients a much higher level of security than leaving a voicemail on the, on your phone. And I think there needs to be more of that because you can have a three-minute phone call and it's the same as leaving that voicemail message. And then if there's questions for that patient to get them taken care of right then instead of having them come into the office is just way more efficient. And looking at this in the much larger 50,000 foot view is that the shortage of doctors and specialists is going to become a huge problem in the next few years. So using these technologies to become much more efficient is going to be critical. The number of radiology images has more than doubled in the past 10 years, and yet the number of radiologists has slightly decreased. These technologies are going to become more and more critical. You can't have specialists moving around from site to site. They're going to have to use tools to be virtually in rooms to see more patients. Yeah, and like how can you get that leverage? Like one person, but being able to see and be multiple places at once for your value. That's another thing we say. Why can't you be in more than one place at one time? That's can with these technologies. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's an interesting stat that you put out there. Imaging is increasing, but the actual specialists, the doctors within that field are decreasing. And like when you think of like the advancement of technology in healthcare, like people joke, oh, robots are taking your job or like artificial intelligence can't take your job away. But do you see that happening with radiology at all? I see it helping and speeding it up. So we're partners with an AI company called Radiobotics. Super fast reads for knees and shoulders, and then they're coming out with new reads as well for hips and so forth that basically create a radiological report. But at the end of the day, the radiologist or orthopedic can refine that report and make that final decision. And one thing, because this comes up all the time at our trade shows and stuff, when our all radiologists can be replaced with AI, at the end of the day, that human element is required because someone has to be responsible. I think we're a long ways away from someone saying we're just 100% comfortable with AI doing this, but just like with driving cars. So who's responsible then at the end? And so the human element is what defines responsibility. So you can certainly make it better, faster, more efficient, but someone has to sign that report and a machine can't. Yeah, I like that's a good point that instead of technology competing with the industry, they're more complimenting and making things easier like that. So yeah, we covered a lot of pretty interesting stuff. And now we're coming towards like the end of the interview, but I like to end each interview on a little lighter exercise with something I call the rapid fire round. So right. I'm just going to ask you a list of questions and you give me whatever answers you come up with. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, wow. I'd have to say there's a lot. I read a lot of books. Walter Isaacson's biography on Ben Franklin. I couldn't put it down. It's a fascinating, I think the most fascinating person in history. Interesting. Number two, 
Who's the most influential person in your life or career? He was an entrepreneur as well, uh, an inventor, had multiple patents, dabbled in everything. He was a renaissance man himself. Nice. Shout out to Dan. Number three, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year? This year, create more awareness of our platform to, to help more people. And that's a, that's actually the, the whole mission. Is It's one thing when you start getting your bills paid and then you start to realize you have an opportunity to truly affect healthcare. It changes your perspective. Last but not least, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self snap out of it you dummy yeah there's I, I if really if it would go back is focus on what you really care for and and i've and i've heard that a thousand times since then but i'd say that's the, the ultimate truism if there's something you really like doing just do that become an expert in anything that you love and you don't have to worry about your career my, my dad used to say become an expert even if it's rocks isn't that a geologist he'd, he'd say now you're getting smart <laughs> hey i like that follow your passion follow your heart i think that's a perfect piece of advice excellent way to wrap up today's episode sam i just want to thank you again for jumping on and sharing the impact that you're trying to create in the healthcare space through Teleray and what you guys are working on over there before you go where can people connect with you if they're interested they want to learn more go ahead you can find us at teleray.com just the way it sounds to you then you can find me on linkedin as well tim kelly at teleray there's facebook pages too and that kind of stuff but generally pretty easy to find I have my emails tim at teleray.com so that's pretty easy too awesome and i'll be sure to include those links in the resources section for this episode but with that being said that ends today's episode catch you guys on the next one